This episode contains graphic information and violence against women and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm Brenna. We're just three gals that like to sit around, drink coffee, and talk about... True crime! And murder. Yep. That also. And also that. Murderiest of murders. The murderiest of murders. Because some true crimes are murders, but not all murders are true crimes. Well, Wait. <laughs> not all true crimes are murders. Yes. And but all, all murders are, are true, true crimes. crimes. There it is. There it is. There's the button. <laughs> There's the button. The t-shirt is all of that right now. <laughs> uh wait. Actually. <laughs> Perfect. Uh and speaking of murder, let's get back to the man who once said we serial killers are your sons. We are your husbands. We are everywhere. And there will be more of your children dead tomorrow. And also said, I don't feel guilty for anything. I feel sorry for people who feel guilt. And one more. I am the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet. That person was Ted Bundy. I mean, Walt you know Whitman what, said no, <laughs> that we contain multitudes. Mm. Huh. Mm. Just yeah. put that one in your pocket and sip it. It's we'll in your pocket? It. Put that in one in your mug and sip it. <laughs> I'll sip that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yay. All right. I'm excited for this uh, another edition of the, the Bun Diaries. The Bun Diaries. The bun diaries. My TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, just to remind us all, our beans and you ladies, uh, Ted had escaped from jail in Colorado and found his way to Chicago. Oh, yeah. 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 The jailers wouldn't know he was missing for 17 hours after his escape. Right, because he mm-hmm. trained them with, like, his feeding schedule, he I guess. Did. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. He, it's like a what happened last. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, last when we met. <laughs> Ted Bundy. So Ted's journey would lead him to Florida in the end, but first let's talk about that journey. So, from Chicago, he caught an Amtrak train to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Once he arrived there, he looked for a place to stay. I mean, he got tired, right? I mean, he's been escaping, he's charming people, catching rides, he's got a rest. Totally exhausting. So he found a YMCA. So he stayed in Michigan a couple days. He even went to a bar, watched his old college team, the University of Washington, the Huskies. They totally beat the Michigan, whatever they are, in the Rose Bowl. Sports. Woo! Woo! Sports uh, ball. Sports, sports ball. <laughs> uh, uh, then he stole a car. Um, he's done that a few times before, so he's a pro at this point. Um, he took that car to Atlanta, Georgia, which is where he left it, just kind of tossed it there. Then he uh, hopped on a bus to Tallahassee, Florida. Mm. And every time I hear Tallahassee, I think of Zombieland. Uh, anyway, different monsters. Uh, so <laughs> he arrived in Florida on January 8th, 1978. And remember, he escaped jail December 30th. 
He found a boarding house called The Oaks. He rented a room, and it wasn't too far from the university, and he took on the persona of Chris Hagen. He started to steal a bunch of stuff. I mean, honestly, what else can you do at first, right? I mean, he doesn't have a job yet, so he can't just get a job. He just got out of jail. So he's stealing some stuff, like purses. He stole another car. Uh, he took an ID from Kenneth Meisner. Uh, with that information, he sent it away to receive copies of his social security card and his birth certificate. Oh, so yeah. he did it, He did the illegal thing the legal way? Is that what you're <laughs> he telling did. me? He yeah. did the illegal thing the legal way, yeah. which is uh, stealing the the student ID first, then properly asking for Social Security and yeah, birth yeah. certificate copies. I'm, I mean, I hope the system's a little stricter these days, but I don't know. Uh, Ted became a master of disguise. He really leaned into his new persona of Chris. He totally drew on a fake mole on his right cheek Gross. and grew a mustache. Cute. <laughs> Cute. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, they tell, they say that um, one of the best ways that you can cover up a pimple, if you have a pimple, is just to make it a little beauty mark. Oh my God, genius. Instead of like painting over it and with the, you know, skin texture and stuff, you just make it a beauty mark. Just make it a beauty Brand mark. life hack. That's <laughs> how I got away with being the Zodiac killer for so long. I mean, sorry, oh, oh, God. Yeah. No. It's, just, it's just a beauty marker on my face. They're like, it can't be that, lady. Like in, what was that, Robin Hood Men and Tights? Yes. Oh, yes. What mole? What mole? Okay. Uh, okay, anyways. So he did try to find work, uh, but like all places do, they asked for more information, more identification, like a simple driver's license. But Ted did not have that. I mean, I mean, Chris. Chris didn't have any of that, so he just walked away and did not look for work again. Thieving it is. <laughs> um, he stayed pretty well behaved, though, for the most part, for the first few weeks of his freedom. He was careful, not too cocky, raised a few eyebrows here and there, because he was kind of weird, but... Uh, just a couple unibrows. Just a couple yeah. unibrows raised. <laughs> Alas. Here we go, ladies and beans. Take a sip of that sweet, sweet elixir of life, your coffee, because here come more murders. What? Already. Oh, my God. I know. He's only good for a week, man. So on January 15th, it was very early in the morning, uh, 1978, Ted Bundy released a part of him that had been locked inside for two and a half years at this point. His need to attack and murder screamed through every part of his being, and he had to act. He approached the Florida State University Pi Omega sorority house at 3 a.m., and the women inside would never be the same again. Karen Chandler, Kathy Kleiner, Lisa Levy, and Margaret Bowman. All of these women were asleep in their rooms. Two of these women survived, and the other two did not make it. These murders that are about to come up are very graphic, and if you are triggered by violent attacks and assault against women, it is okay for you to skip ahead and go straight to when I talk about Ted's conviction and execution. Thank you for sharing this time with us, and please, please, please do what's best for you. Here we go. Karen Chandler, 21 years old, had been with her family early that day. She cooked dinner for them and hung out for a bit before returning to the sorority house to work on a sewing project. She arrived back before 12 a.m. and went to bed after her project was done. Hours later, she was found wandering the halls, bleeding profusely. Blood all over her face, broken teeth, skull fractures, a crushed finger, and cuts all over her, and she was completely delirious. Kathy Kleiner, 20 years old, had gone to a wedding earlier that day with her fiancé and had dinner after. She was in bed around 12 a.m. She was Karen's roommate. The house mother, after discovering Karen, ran into their room. Kathy was found sitting up on her bed, holding her head. 
When she approached Kathy, she saw that Kathy was holding her bleeding head, was covered in blood and cuts, broken teeth, her jaw was broken in three places, and she had a whiplash injury to her neck. She had no memory of the attack because she was fast asleep when it started, and she was heard crying out for her fiancé and pastor. Jeez. Lisa Levy, 20 years old. Her roommate was out of town, so she had the room all to herself. She had worked all day, and she even went to a popular disco with another sorority sister around 10 p.m. But because she was so exhausted, she went back to the sorority house before 12 a.m. and just crawled into bed, and she never woke up. She was found without a pulse by an officer. She had been strangled, had her right nipple almost completely bitten off, her left collarbone was broken, and a hairspray bottle was found forced inside her vagina. There were double bite marks on her left butt cheek, which is important to remember. They're going to play a major part in the trial upcoming. Lisa was dead before she even reached the hospital and before she was even discovered. Margaret Bowman, 21 years old. She had gone on a blind date that night at 9.30 p.m., and when she came back, she talked to Melanie Nelson in her room, and then after, when she got back to her own room, she fell fast asleep around 2.30 a.m. She was found on her stomach with a shattered skull. She was attacked as she slept. She was strangled with a nylon stocking, and it was said that it was so tight around her neck that her neck was nearly broken. Her skull was so destroyed that it was impossible to tell the difference between all the injuries, and she was dead before they even found her. The coroner said that they believed both women were unconscious before the blows to their head. It is also said that all of this took place over the span of half an hour. Okay. Half an hour! So he, like, over half an hour. That's a lot of... It just makes me think... It, I The visual in my mind is the Tasmanian devil. Like, because that's mm. so much to do with so much force. And so much destruction. In such a short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. Like, to the bites, like, to flip around on somebody, essentially, and, like, bite them on their butt, and then on their nipple, and then breaking a collarbone, and then, like, but that's on one person, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I guess them being unconscious makes it faster. Right? Yeah. Less fighting off, less them fighting off, but holy crap. Yeah. And like, I mean, Tasmanian Devil is a good way to think about it. This was two and a half years of pent up stuff. Like, he didn't do anything because he was in jail. So, right. this is him unleashing all of that on these women. Um, there was a sorority sister, Nita Neary, who came home around 3 a.m. as the attacks were ending and Ted was slipping out. She noticed that the back door was open, and it didn't alarm her right away because there had been issues with that door recently. It wasn't locking. It was kind of opening on its own, stuff like that. So she went in and started to turn off the lights that were still on downstairs. Then she heard the sounds of a stranger in the house, a thump, and then running, and then saw someone leaving with what looked like a club in their hand, and it had looked like maybe something like a cloth was wrapped around it. She thought at first that it was one of the girl's boyfriends, but then thought, no, no, this man is too large and much taller than anyone that she knew. So she ran and told her roommate. She started yelling, there's someone in the house, Nancy. I saw a man leave. Then the horror of what happened came to light. As investigations continued at the sorority house, an officer found a pile of oak logs in the backyard. And they realized that he must have just picked up his weapon on his way in. But that wasn't enough to feed the beast. Ted then went to another location to continue his violent streak. A few blocks away, he broke into another house. Cheryl Thomas, a dance student at Florida State University with long dark hair, dark eyes, and who had returned home from a date around 1.30 a.m. 
She made some food, turned on the TV, fed her new little kitten, and she was teasingly yelled at by her neighbors, her two friends, Debbie and Nancy, to turn her TV down. And then she turned off the kitchen light and waited for her kitten to follow her. She went to bed thinking nothing, having no clue of the horrors that were taking place only blocks away from her. She woke up to a noise, but then brushed it off thinking it was like her kitten playing, and she went back to sleep. Around 4 a.m., her neighbor wakes up. Debbie started hearing this strange hammering noise. Who was hammering something at 4 a.m.? She felt everything vibrate with each hit of this mysterious hammer. Debbie, like myself, slept on a mattress on the floor. She starts freaking out and she wakes up her roommate, Nancy. They both listen in silence, trying to figure out what's going on. Then they heard Cheryl. She was whimpering and moaning. Is she having a bad dream? Is something wrong? Debbie doesn't know what to do, so she quietly grabs the phone and calls her boyfriend. He says, it's probably nothing, just leave it alone. But Debbie has this gut feeling that something is off. The girls in this particular dorm house building thing, they all have like different apartments next to each other, they have a security check. No matter what you're doing, you have to answer the phone if it rings, no matter what time it is. If they didn't answer the phone, that meant something was wrong. So Debbie called, and it rang five times. Nancy started screaming, call the police now. And as they were calling the police, they heard a huge crash coming from Cheryl's room. Someone was running through the kitchen. Dozens of police cars were at their place in four minutes of the call because unknown to these girls, they were literally down the street at oh the other horrific bloodbath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Cheryl was found lying across her bed, holding on to consciousness. She was still moaning and whimpering from all the pain that she was in. Her face was purple with bruises and swollen. She had suffered multiple head wounds. Her skull was fractured in five places and she still suffers from hearing loss in her left ear to this day. Her left shoulder was out of place, jaw broken, and her eighth cranial nerve was so severely damaged that she was never again able to have a normal equilibrium. She had to stay in the hospital for a month after the attack. The police believe that if Nancy hadn't shouted to call the police, which startled Bundy and made him run out, he would have finished the job and murdered Cheryl Thomas. Her dreams of being a dancer were stolen from her that night and almost her life along with it. It's also something super interesting to think about. Each one of those fractures was an impact. So how many times? I was thinking that when you said one of the girls with like the broken jaw in three places. I had that thought of like, he hit them at least three times then. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's more than that, of course, but it's mm-hmm. like, but like the um, the idea of each one of those being an impact is so crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so much rage. He's oh, yeah. so full of rage. Yep. Yeah. Very angry. Very angry. So after all of this, Bundy took a break. He went back to kind of lying low, just stealing more things and being Chris Hagen. But then February 9th, 1978, Ted takes his last life. He was in Lake City, Florida. Kimberly Leach was 12 years old. She had dark hair, dark eyes, and who was about 5 feet, 100 pounds. She had her whole life ahead of her. She was well-liked at her junior high. She had even just been elected first runner-up for the Valentine Queen. And on this day, it was particularly rainy and windy. And she arrived at her PE class and realized that she left her purse in homeroom. She was given permission to go grab it and return back to class right away. A friend went with her since the buildings were kind of far apart, but her friend also realized that she forgot something and ran quickly to go grab it. Instead of waiting for her friend, Kimberly just kept going. She was safe at school. It should be perfectly fine, but not today. When her friend came back, she saw Kimberly in the distance with a man. They were leaving. 
Witnesses came forward and said that the man seemed like an angry parent picking up their kid. The girl was crying, but no one thought anything of it. It was just a dad and a kid who'd gotten in trouble at school, right? No. The school, I know, I know. The school called Kimberly's home a while later as part of a routine check-in. She didn't go to any of her other classes that afternoon. Her parents instantly knew something was wrong. She never skipped class before, so why would she do that now? They called the police and they said that she probably just ran away, but they knew that wasn't it. She was so excited for the Valentine election and she was just a happy kid and she didn't come home. There was such a heavy search for her for eight weeks and finally she was found. April 7th, 1978. The search party found a pig pen and a shed and inside there was not much left of this young, happy, beautiful girl. She had been strangled and sexually assaulted. There didn't seem to be any head trauma, but... By this point of decomposition, it was so bad that it was difficult to tell any of those things specifically. Uh, On February 12th, Bundy stole another vehicle and left Tallahassee to head west. On February 15th, he was apprehended by the police. He had stolen tags from another car and tried to pass them off as his own, but the person he stole them from had made a report. So when the police in Pensacola called about Bundy's plates, it came up stolen. When Officer David Lee tried to approach Bundy, he began to take off and fought the officer. Ted did not win this fight, and he said to David, I wish you had killed me. So when Ted was being booked, he gave the name Ken Meisner, the student ID he had stolen a while back. But when the Florida Department of Law Enforcement later made a positive fingerprint identification, he was transported back to Tallahassee and subsequently charged for the murders. He did string some people along for a bit, though. No one really knew who he was at first. He would be interviewed by officers who were trying to get his real name, and he would kind of tease it at first. Even had time in court for a stolen car where they didn't even know who he really was. Then he made a big reveal during an interview. I am Ted Bundy. But the officer had no idea who he was. The news of his horrors hadn't reached this specific precinct. Bummer moment for Ted, right? But that didn't last long. After the departments fought with each other about who should get Bundy, like parents fighting over a kid and a divorce, he did end up back in Tallahassee and later to Miami for the trial. Whew. So that's been a lot of stuff. So I think it's time to heat up our coffees and take a sip. The trial, conviction, and execution are a whole circus of their own. Ted would have many different days in court and for different victims. The states would almost argue over who could get him into court first, whose murder should be tried first. Florida would not let go of Ted, though. He was in their state, and they were not going to let him go until he fried. And that they did. But before we get into the execution, let's talk about some of what went down. Have you guys seen that photo of Ted where he's in, like, the jail jumpsuit, and he's, like, leaning against the wall? Yes. Yeah, super famous. Katsaris, taken on June 27th, 1978, when Sheriff Ken Katsaris had a sealed indictment and had called a bunch of media to a press conference. Ted had been at a hearing in Pensacola and had only been back in a cell for about an hour before he was brought out and taken to this press conference. Now, he didn't really know what was exactly going on at the time, so when he realized the media was all there, he took a moment longer in the elevator before he came out. He came out as Ken was opening the indictment, and he put on his cool kid act. What do we have here, Ken? Let's see. Oh, an indictment. Why don't you read it to me? You're running for re-election. And that's when he looked forward and did that pose to hear the indictment and for all the cameras. He spoke to the press. He said he's going to get me. To Sheriff, he said, okay, you got your indictment. That's all you're going to get. The Sheriff kept reading as Ted would mock or make comments. I plead not guilty right now. 
Can I speak to the press when you're done? We've displayed the prisoner now. I think it's my turn. Listen, I've been kept in isolation for six months. You've been talking for six months. I'm gagged. You're not gagged. He was kept in isolation in jail, and he wasn't allowed to talk to any other inmates. Florida did not want to risk another possible escape. Mm -hmm. How funny. Yeah. It was Florida that killed the beast. Twas. Uh, as the trial dates approached, Ted attacked back. He and his team submitted complaints about how he was being treated. Because even though he is in jail, he still has his rights as a human being. And they didn't allow him to do much. He did end up getting some time for outside exercise and proper cell lighting. The trials were put off and changed a number of times. He was denied the lawyer he wanted because he wasn't based in Florida. There was even another one who he got into a terrible accident, which was a great loss to Ted's defense team. It was things like that that really kind of pushed Ted to represent himself. He didn't believe that his team was competent enough to handle his case. The trial for Levy and Bowman began on June 7, 1979. He was found guilty on June 23, 1979 and sentenced to death June 31, 1979. When the verdict came in, the judge said this, It is ordered that you be put to death by a current of electricity. That current be passed through your body until you are dead. Take care of yourself, young man. I say that to you sincerely. Take care of yourself, please. It is an utter tragedy for this court to see such a total waste of humanity as I've experienced in this courtroom. You're a bright young man. You'd have made a good lawyer. And I would have loved to have you practice in front of me. But you went another way, partner. Take care of yourself. I don't feel any animosity towards you. I want you to know that. Once again, take care of yourself. <laughs> oh, Ted. Mm -hmm. You silly boy. Teddy boo. This is what happens when you commit crimes in Florida. In Florida. I know. Where'd you go? And, and get slapped in the face by the penis of America. <laughs> Pretty much. And America. he probably, who knows what would have happened if he didn't kill people in Florida. Like, yeah. if he just didn't go that route. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is they were the ones that kept him in jail the whole time. He escaped two other times. He did. Yeah. Not from Florida. Yeah, no. Then for Kimberly Leach's murder, the trial began on January 1st, 1980. He is found guilty on February 6th, 1980 and sentenced to death for a second time on February 9th, 1980. And if you want some visuals, that movie with Zac Efron does do a nice job showing Ted in court in a more entertaining, you know, less too real sort of way. And Rule's book, The Stranger Beside Me, goes into great detail from the time that he goes to court. Anne herself was there for some of it. She had a press badge, so she was able to kind of go into the room with the press and watch from the screens. Uh, you can also find the videos of him in court, which is rather eerie to watch and hear him speak as this lawyer version of himself. I shared the links to those in the show notes. Um, watching Ted on the stand and also trying to object to questions is really strange to see. He did keep his team of, as advisors, even if he didn't listen to them all the time. Uh, his efforts were pointless, though, after the numerous witnesses and victims, Melanie Nelson, Nancy Dowdy, Karen Chandler, Kathy Kleiner, uh, Nancy Young, Cheryl Thomas, came through the courtroom. They left a heavy mark on the jury, seeing the lasting effects of his attacks on these surviving women. Along with crime scene photos, the bite mark testimony didn't look good for Ted from the start. Ted pushed through, though. Uh, he was always one to play up the dramatics. He selected his own jury, 12 people he selected. His life was literally in these people's hands. Uh, during the Kimberly trial, he found out that you can legally get married if you perform the ceremony during the court session. So Carol Boone, let's talk about her for a second. She was a former co-worker of Bundy's. They worked together in 1974 at the Washington State Department of Emergency Services, where Ted was helping to look for his own victims. Mm-hmm. Unknown to Carol and the team, of course. 
Uh, she was recently divorced for a second time and also a single mother like Liz. Carol was by his side for all of these trials, and one day she's called to the stand by Bundy. And during questioning, they go through wedding vows and are legally married. In there? In there. the court. Just there? Yeah. In that room? In that place? In that court. They didn't have to get a license first? They got married in that courtroom. Oh, Florida. I mean, they could have gotten it first, right? Mm. Yeah, all well, it takes is her no, getting if it. No, he's, if he's in custody, he can't show up in person to obtain the marriage license. I mean, that's just Las Vegas rules, but... Right, unless there's... Because there's got to be a way... There's so many prisoners that have gotten married, though. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Maybe it's because they're in a law house? I don't I'll know. go down Law house. <laughs> law house. Law house. I don't know. You, you guys are the ones that marry people, not me. Yeah. Uh, so Elizabeth, she ended up backing up and getting away and getting the hell out of Dodge, basically, from all the Bundy stuff. She disappeared from his life and did not contact him, and he was unable to contact her. He would even ask Anne Rule from time to time about Liz, or ask Anne if she'd give her a letter or something. Um, Carol sticks around, though, for most of the circus. They end up having a daughter together, too, Rose, while he's in jail. Cool! Wait, uh-huh. how? Well, you know. Some people will let you do anything for a couple bucks. Yeah. Mm, Cigarettes. Yeah, yeah they let her, let them be alone together in some of those rooms. Ah. Mm-hmm. Copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as the execution got closer, Carol stops coming around. Got too real. She mm. believed his innocence all up until then. Um, but back to things that came up during the trials. The bite mark on Lisa plays a major part in the Omega Chi trial. There is a mold made of Bundy's teeth by uh, Dr. Silveron, Silveron, Silveron. And he explained how it all worked, how the double bite mark all lines up perfectly with Bundy's teeth, how one set is deeper than the other because he bit down harder than, saying, quote, they line up exactly. This was the first piece of physical evidence that linked Ted to a victim. It was huge. During the cross-examination, the defense team got more information about the whole process. He had taken the mold of Bundy's teeth, went down to the morgue, and replicated the bite on corpses. When asked about live volunteers, the doctor simply said, I couldn't get any live volunteers. <laughs> I mean, how much how much money do you make to get, be like, all right, I'm going to bite your ass, but it's going to be with this model of <laughs> teeth. But it's for science. But it's for science. Can yeah. I bite your butt for science? Can I bite your butt for science? I mean, it depends. I definitely have to be like... Do you not have access to a cadaver? Like, you know, like... like. Well, but your blood has to be running, right? To, like, make the... Well, here's bruise. the thing. When you bite something that's dead, and when you bite something that's alive, the skin reacts differently. Right. So, they don't know when he bit her. So, they don't know when the bite mark happened. They don't know how much the skin changed. Anyways, I'm going to get into that. Okay. So, part art and part science. The idea of bite mark evidence. Everyone's teeth are unique, he said. Prior to the doctor speaking in court, he did talk to an Orlando meeting all about the work he did with this case and Ted's teeth. And Ted tried to use that to get him held in contempt, but it failed. So he was already talking about this evidence and stuff before he even addressed it in court. He was already bringing it to the public, which so shouldn't proud of be himself. okay. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so to go back to the Kyo house crime scene, uh, after the examination, there was semen found at the scene. It was determined to come from someone who was a non-secretor. There was type O blood found and a piece of gum in Lisa's hair. Ted was found to be a secretor. 
The blood on the hair mist bottle was found to be Lisa's. She and Ted did share the same blood type, though. They're both type O. And the gum was not properly saved and was tampered with. So after all of that, it was useless, and it just posed more questions. In the case of Kimberly, there was a Dodge van that was found. It was given up for physical evidence. And inside, there were leaf samples taken, pieces of the carpet, and blood samples taken. And then the miles that were driven were noted. The blood matched Kimberly, but the state of the blood was impossible to break down to properly compare it. The semen was that of a secretor and type O blood was also found. That matched Ted. Soles of the shoes Ted was wearing had matched footprints found and fibers matching Kimberly's football jersey were also found. It's a little more stronger evidence for that one. Yeah. Right. Much stronger. So he gets sentenced to two different death sentences. He is set to be executed on June 2nd, 1986, and 15 minutes before he is scheduled to die, he is granted a stay of execution. (gasps) The drama! I know, I know. Then, on November 18th, 1986, seven hours before he is set to be executed, he gets another stay of execution. No, do we, why? Why So it's appeals, because they're, uh, his defense team are, are... Uh, fighting for appeals, and they're getting approved. Um, During that time, he did speak to investigators like Bob K. Ressler, uh, and Ted was one of the many serial killers they investigated. John Douglas talks about Bundy in his book, Mindhunter, and the weird obsession that serial killers seem to have with Volkswagen Beetles and college girls. Uh, In his interviews with Bob, Ted was not the most helpful. He was very uncooperative and manipulative, and he only seemed to speak in third person and hypotheticals. Wrestler, when asked about Bundy, said, This guy was an animal, and it amazed me that the media seemed unable to understand that. There was another agent that Ted uh, would get visits from. He was uh, pretty popular, you see, with all the agents. And this was Special Agent William um, from the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit. Uh, He was someone that Ted did end up opening up to. He would even start to refer to him as his best friend. Ted confessed a lot of murder details to him. Not all of which were confirmed to be true or not, but still. Uh, Ted even helped out with the mystery that was the Green River Killer. His good old friend, Detective Kempel, was part of that task force. Bundy gave insight into what might have been going on and offered assistance. He later proved to not be very helpful, though. (laughs) The interviews uh, he did give were more insightful about Ted's mind rather than the Green River Killer's. They asked about unsolved cases that Ted was possibly a suspect for. And when his appeals were exhausted, he got scared. Death was moments away now. So he continued to try to prolong things with more information about unsolved cases. There was a legal advocate of Bundy's who reached out to victim families, asking them to come forward and to ask for mercy for Bundy in hopes that they may find more out about their loved ones. But families refused. But even if they wanted to say yes, the amount of anger and chaos over all the Bundy stuff, it was insane. And I don't know if I would be able or feel safe even to come forward and say that because of how violent people were getting and how much they wanted to see him burn. People were going crazy. It would be really scary to be that one person that came forward. So there was one more interview done with Ted before he was executed. It was a televised interview with a Christian organization called Focus on the Family. In the interview, he talked about how pornography played a major role in shaping who he was, specifically violent pornography. Now, he never blamed it, though, just said that it helped mold him. Ted said, you're going to kill me, and that will protect society from me. 
but out there are many, many more people who are addicted to pornography and you are doing nothing about that. It's also said that days before his execution, Ted thought about suicide. Probably part of that need to be in control, but he didn't do it, obviously. Mm. And speaking of that need, the uncontrollable need, let's dive into some of the mental side of things. Brenna, I know that you love this stuff as much as I do, so I if you do. have anything you want to add, please go ahead. Mm-hmm. So a few doctors saw Ted and tried to diagnose him. There are many theories about what was going on. So Dr. Herv uh, Cleckley, uh, a psychiatrist from Georgia, interviewed Ted before his Miami trial. He said afterwards, The observer is confronted with a convincing mask of sanity. We are dealing not with a complete man at all, but with something that suggests a subtle construct reflex machine, which can mimic the human personality perfectly. Experts have speculated what was actually going on with Ted, but the truth is he never should have been allowed to represent himself in court and he should have been institutionalized and not put to death. But here are a list of other possible mental disorders. Antisocial personality disorder. These symptoms include uh, egocentricism, acting on personal gratification, not social norms, lacking empathy and remorse, uh, incapacity to maintain mutual intimate relationships, Um, antagonism, which basically means being manipulative, deceitful, hostile, um, and disinhibition, meaning irresponsible, compulsive, and risk-taking. This is one that I hear a lot when people talk about Ted, the antisocial personality disorder. Mm -hmm. That's like a good big sheet blanket Mm -hmm. of like, cool, at the very least this to start. And then all those other things, because I'm sure you have the whole list. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) After that, it's like, but also this is this, but that's definitely like a, okay, we're starting here. Yeah. Now, there's like all these other small things that he definitely probably could have exhibited for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, psychopathy. It is not the same thing as antisocial personality disorder, but it does fall under it. It said that all psychopaths have ASPD, but not all people with ASPD are psychopaths. <laughs> it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with murder and true crime. <laughs> right. But, right. <laughs> The psychopathy checklist includes superficial charm, untruthfulness and insincerity, lack of nervousness, inadequately motivated antisocial behavior, uh, psychological egocentricity, lack of remorse and shame, and the inability to follow a life plan. Forensic psychologist Turner believed that this described Ted. Then we have narcissistic personality disorder. 95% of psychologists in the University of Kentucky believed that Ted had this on top of the others. This includes excessive reference to others for self-esteem regulating and or goal setting based on others' approval, impaired ability to recognize the needs and emotions of others, largely superficial relationships that exist for self-esteem regulation or personal gain only, feeling of entitlement and superiority, excessive attempts to attract attention from others, and admiration-seeking. To qualify, you need to display five of these nine qualities. This is another one that I've heard mentioned a lot, the narcissistic personality. Mm -hmm. Then we have bipolar personality disorder. Dorothy O. Lewis was a psychiatrist who tried to save Bundy. She specialized in evaluating violent offenders. She argued that he had bipolar personality disorder, which is a mental illness that deals with chemical imbalances and extreme mood swings. An investigator told Lewis that during an interview, Bundy changed suddenly in the middle. They said, he became weird on me, did a metamorphosis, a bit of a body and facial change, and almost an odor emitted from him. So now, to be honest, after I read that quote, my brain went, demon! 
Yeah, I yeah. watch too much Buffy. Yeah, demons stink, right? Isn't yeah, that like thing? sulfur, right? Sulfur. Mm. Was it sulfur? So like he was so full of shit that like hey, he didn't is. he didn't have anywhere to like get rid of it to like murder people that he would just so be so full of shit that he just smelled like shit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So full of shit. Your eyes are brown. Or he was just in prison and acting like a dipshit by not showering. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of column A. Yeah, a little column B. Uh, Lewis said he could switch from euphoria and quickened speech to anger and long periods of silence. But alas, nothing more could be looked into because Lewis's attempt failed. They did not want to hear it. The appeal was denied and Bundy was executed on January 24th, 1989. There are a few others that came up that I will touch on briefly. Again, if you have anything you want to add, Brenna, please jump in. Borderline personality disorder. Two of six people in the U.S. are said to suffer from this, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Unstable personal relationships, acts impulsively, behaves in self-harming ways, goes through periods of intense depression, bored, and changes in self-image. Schizoid personality disorder. More than 50% of psychologists in the University of Kentucky believed Bundy suffered from this disorder. Someone suffering from this is in touch with reality and makes sense when they speak, but it's antisocial personality disorder to the extreme. So it's not like schizophrenia where you are delusional. Mm-hmm. You're very in aware of your surroundings, but it's you still kind of have that grander speak. Right, and each of these that you're going through get uh, conflated with each other very often, mm-hmm. where someone will say, like, you know, it's because it's a word that gets used, right? Like, to, like, call somebody something, you know? So, or, like, schizophrenia or having, a, like, a schizoid disorder gets, like, conflated with, like, borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Like, so you're actually going through each thing very thoroughly. So it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> I found a really cool article yeah. about it. Yeah, like, yeah. So it's, like, each thing is, like, being listed, but, like, very there's very particular parts of each thing that's so that they don't get all like mixed up together yeah when i was going through them the borderline personality disorder and bipolar i've heard them get mixed up a lot Mm -hmm. Um, yeah when it's like the personality disorder is like a removal of self whereas the bipolar disorder is like a chemical like manic to like mm non-manic and like crashes and like high swings and stuff it's more of like a feelings feeling type thing, like where it's like a feelings regulation is where it like gets seen a lot more. Mm. Whereas uh, like personality disorder is like a switch in like it's like a it's like a removal of your personality from the rest of you is what I've like read the most about as it's like presented. But that thing, those things get confused because someone's acting outside of themselves and they're like, oh, it's because they're bipolar. It's like, no, that's more of like a mood irregulation. Like you can't control your your behavior because you're like you're all of your endorphins are squeezing out at once and you're not asking for it or you're Mm -hmm. like you know having like this crazy serotonin squeeze and you're like i'm ready to take over the world and delusions of grandeur and like things that are just like like it's like you amplified both ways Mm. so you can either be like I'm doing all this stuff and I'm, like, buying all this stuff I don't need and, like, everyone gets, you know, drinks tonight and all this whatever, you know. And then, like, the other side of it is, like, staying indoors in your room forever and not eating and, like, not doing things that are good for you. And then, like, the other side of it is, like, I'm going to buy a brand new car and I don't have good credit. Let's go. (laughs) And, like, yeah. So, it's, like, but I don't know. He was in prison for a while and then he, like, broke out and killed, like, a bunch of women at once. 
Did he ever give anybody any trouble in prison, like, violently? Or was it just, like, we say, like, he, he like, saved it up. And, like, when he got out, he went nuts because he, he had a he had this building up inside of him and it's like did he ever act out in prison or was it just against women that looked like his ex-girlfriend it's just women cool yeah he only acts like from what i've read it's only really against women he didn't really have but i think in jail he stayed away from a lot of people because because of his crimes yeah (laughs) so it wasn't like he had a propensity to like be violent period it was oh i only get to be violent against people that I have power over, that I'm strong enough to, to defeat. There's There are moments in court, too, where you see that side of him because he gets, he's losing control and you see him out, like his manic outbursts happen mm-hmm. in court and there's like a picture of him yelling. And that, oh, like, that's when he would like, he just would say outlandish stuff, right? Yeah. Like he just would say, yeah, okay. I think I remember those kind of clips, too, where he would just like, it's like he would just say ridiculous make ridiculous claims and just mm-hmm. say weird things. And mm-hmm. you're like, all right, well, cool. Whatever. It's grasping at straws. <laughs> and he was. Yeah. That he was. Uh, there's two others. Addictive disorder, someone who needs a specific substance or a thing or a behavior to function to ease any anxiety or stress that they may be having. They need to get this high, if you will, to feel better. And then this one, I have no idea how to pronounce Machiavellian. Machiavellian. There it is. It. Machiavellian. Machiavellianism. Machiavellianism. And it did say on there that it was named after a dude. That guy, Machiavelli. Should have put that together. It's an extreme form of narcissism. That tracks. Classic. Classic. (laughs) Uh, But most of that was really talked about after the fact because none of it would really have made a difference in Florida. At 7.06 a.m. on January 24th, 1989, Ted said his last words, which were, I'd like you to give my love to my family and friends. And he was strapped down to an electric chair in front of a small group of people. Uh, People in Florida were told to turn off their lights if they weren't using them because it was going to cause a brownout. Then over 2,000 volts were sent through his body for less than two minutes. He was officially declared dead at 7.16 a.m., and there were hundreds of people outside to cheer and sell t-shirts. In the newest edition of The Stranger Beside Me, there is a bit in the beginning where someone who was present describes what it was like to witness it. Anne was asked to be there, but she couldn't bring herself to go. So Clark Hochel was three feet from Ted's knees. He said, I was eye to eye with one of the most heinous sexual predators of our time. My eyes were channeled with his right eye, and I saw feral fear in his disheveled face, but no tears. And that, my ladies and beans, is Ted Bundy. Any final sips? Do you think that we get so, um, because we are so in in action, no, it, because we don't have any action towards actually stopping people from, like, raping, uh, like, by teaching boys, like, rape is bad um, at, a, at a young age, uh, do you think that that's why we react so strongly to when we finally, like, we got one, and he's, we're getting him, and, like, he's dead now, we got him. You know, like, like yeah. it just feels like um, there's just no... Like, what are we meant to do when someone just comes into our house when we're sleeping? 
And, like, I didn't get to hold the keys between my fingers or not wear mm-hmm. a ponytail. Like, I didn't get to not do all the things that the news tells me I can't do to, like, get attacked. I was unconscious because I was sleeping in my own bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, like, what are we meant to do in that instance? And how come we don't change the verbiage now to, like, talk, like, having it be known across the land that, no, you don't pull her ponytail because you like her. You pull yeah. her ponytail because you're being an awful person. Right. And that's bad behavior that's harmful and hurtful. Yeah. Um, it's like we don't want to, we don't want to do the thing that actually fixes the problem. We just want to band-aid it and be like, mm-hmm. but we killed the one guy. But boys are boys. Yeah, boys will be boys. Ooh. And we killed that one guy. We got him. There's the one guy. Yeah. That makes up for it all, right? Right. No. 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 It didn't fix the problem. No, we learned nothing. No. Nothing no. has been learned. There no. are so many people with similar stories. It's ridiculous. It's, you're right. It's because it's not getting taught. We're not talking about it. Right. We're like, oh, no, but we that's our justification. Well, we murdered him. We murdered yeah. that guy because he murdered people, so we're even, right? Right. When there's, like, people that do it all the time. And it is funny that he, like... Still blamed it on porn when there's like tons of people. Uh, he said he didn't blame porn, right? <laughs> that he still referenced porn as like you a should learning be thing. At those people, right? Yeah, yeah like, look over there. Yeah, look, look over that. there. It's like I don't know. I know tons of people that play Grand Theft Auto and have never, you know, robbed like stolen a car. <laughs> like I hate when that stuff gets blamed because I'm like Ted. There's been wars since centuries before porn was porn and. Uh, like, Elizabeth Bathory didn't fucking watch porn. She just tore people apart and bathed in their blood, you know? Like, you yeah. don't need that stuff to do it. It's in, you're just deciding to do it. Like, yeah. you can see shit until the end of time. It's when you decide that it's your turn to try it out is when there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. So stupid. Um, I mean, my, my final sip is just kind of, I think we've already even talked about this and brought it up, but just like, my God, if we had just gotten to the root of the problem and given this man some better mental health resources like or at least i don't know know, kept an eye on him so we wouldn't (laughs) leave jail the second or third time yeah yeah yeah, you're right at least that if we could just like keep it keep an eye out yeah dude because he's been a slippery one in the past he's a slippery little snake right so if you guys could keep an extra eye on my slippery snake (laughs) that's my final snake final final (laughs) final sip on your slippery snake yeah yeah i like it uh for my final sip i would like to talk about the bite mark and of course Mm. the death penalty because i love talking about that Mm. Uh, so we have learned a lot more since all of this happened and we'll continue to learn more as time progresses. And I am by no means an expert, uh, but I do know a thing or two and I'm always wanting to learn more. But the idea of bite mark evidence is not solid evidence anymore. Even back then they said it was part art, part science. However, the amount in which a bite mark can be manipulated to fit is insane. Mm -hmm. The Innocence Project has a series on Netflix, and I super encourage all of you to check it out if you haven't. It goes into detail about bite mark evidence. In one of those cases, a man was put away for years, and years later was released because the bite marks that his mouth fit so perfectly were done by insects. Oh my god. Wasn't a fucking bite mark at all. Whoa. Um, I have included an article from the Innocence Project as well, but to quote, they said, nearly a quarter of people exonerated since 1989 were wrongfully convicted based on false or misleading forensic evidence like bite marks. That's one in four. And at least 26 people have been wrongfully convicted because of bite mark evidence. 
That's 26 too many. Bite marks are still admissible in courts despite even experts saying it's too high of a false rating. The skin is a terrible thing to record a bite mark on. The factors are insane. Was it living tissue? Is it dead tissue? How old is the skin? How well is it cared for? Is it taken care of at all? There's too many factors. I used to uh, bite myself as a kid to just see what it would look like. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else did that. But it would look different every time that I did it. And I thought it was hilarious. Our teeth may not change, but the way our skin takes the impression does. The teeth are also not as unique as fingerprints. The reason why it hasn't officially changed is because of the law. The law rarely changes. Science does. And that is where the issue lies. Dana Delger explains it as, the notion is that the law shouldn't change very much. If it was the law yesterday, then it should be the law today, and it'll be the law tomorrow. But that's not how science works at all. The article continues that if it was up to science, then bite marks would no longer be admissible. The law isn't budging though. So organizations like the Innocent Project are fighting to exonerate more wrongfully convicted and even more that will be convicted later when things don't change. So yes, Bundy did terrible, terrible things. But the way his trial went down, the lack of actual evidence, his mental state, it should have led him to being institutionalized, interviewed more, but not executed. He never should have been allowed to represent himself, and I do believe that he would have revealed more about the women he murdered. He possibly murdered hundreds of women that we know nothing about to this day. When police confronted him about murdering 36, he said, add one more digit to that and you'll have it. Who knows? Ted and his victims only know, and we never will. And I just think that's insane. And if you listen to our bloopers, you may have heard us bring up Gary Gilmore on SNL. Gary Gilmore. They did a bit on him. I wasn't sure at the time if they'd done one on Ted, but I have since looked it up, and they sure as heck did. Oh my god. <laughs> There's a cold open done with Ted Bundy as the character. Mm. Um, I've included it in the show notes, and I encourage everyone to check it out. Oh, and it aired four days after Bundy was executed. So there's that. Wow. <laughs> and before we leave, uh, should we also talk about um, what we're doing, like watching? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we will be watching the Conversations with the Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes that are on Netflix. And we're going to be having a conversation about that. That'll come out next Monday. If you want to watch it too and send us some of your thoughts or questions, please email us or hit us up on our Instagram page. We'd love to hear about it and hear your thoughts. I'm always curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. I can't wait to watch the thing with you guys. Yeah, It's going to be fun. I'm excited <laughs> to re-watch it. You can watch along with us on the Netflix. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. <laughs> uh, I need some more coffee. Yeah. Huh, that's, you know, and it's been... I am fascinated by Ted. I have been since I was a little kid because he's the boogeyman. He was my boogeyman. That's who my dad always warned me about. He went to the mall that I grew up going to. Like, he was dead before I was born, a couple months before I was born, but he was still very present. He's still very present. People talk about him as the scary guy all the time. He's the warning. So going back and kind of revisiting all this stuff was was interesting and kind of difficult. And uh, I find I found myself pausing a lot and needing to step away from it because revisiting the horrific murders and the crazy trial and all this stuff was a lot to to take yeah. on. Yeah, um, it was. I'm glad I did it. Thank you all for going on the journey with me. Yeah, thank um, you for doing oof, the deep dive. Jiminy yeah, Cricket. Yeah, it's been a lot. And there's even some more things that I haven't gotten to watch yet that I still want to go and look at. Um, just because it is it is fascinating, as horrible as it all is. 
It's so interesting how someone so charismatic can uh, enable law enforcement to be essentially useless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hate to say that. Like, I know there's some law enforcement people that don't like to hear that. But, and rather, um, you heard the entire case over the past four weeks, three, yeah. four weeks. Um, that law enforcement failed on many different occasions. Yes. Mm -hmm. The people that handled Ted's case failed him and a lot of dead women. Yes. So there's women that, after he was already in jail, died. Yeah. So a lot of people were failed on that. I find that a lot when, when doing these cases where it's like, this person was reported and they let him go. So yeah. let's just circle on back to uh, when people show you who they are, pay attention. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's like, I mean, we'll talk about Kemper down the line, but he's another one who just befriended officers and literally talked about <laughs> his murders, and mm -hmm. they didn't even think about it. There's a lady, I can't, it was, it was on a, that chapter, it was a woman in Canada that was like a nurse that kept killing mm. elderly people, and yes. she told a lot of people, and then people just kept going like, then stop doing that. Like, they just, they didn't like, she just kept telling a lot of people she was doing it. It's like... Guys, just because someone is charismatic or kind or just has a good tone in their voice doesn't mean that, like, they still have to be held accountable for their actions, yeah. yo. Yeah. Just don't kill people. Yeah, just don't kill people. Don't kill people. Don't Lawyer kill people. up. Lawyer up. And shut up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. Stop I, talking. Yeah. Shut <laughs> up and lawyer don't up. Talk. Shut up comes first. Yeah. yeah. Lawyer up comes second. Lawyer. Yeah. And drink coffee. And drink coffee. Stay caffeinated. Stay, Stay caffeinated. caffeinated. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week and every week on Morning Murders. Spooky season. <laughs> Have a murder you like to talk about over coffee? We would love to hear about it. Email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. In today's show notes, you can find our cited research as well as a few of our favorite mental health resources. Kyomega! Omega! Kyomega! Kyomega! Okay. Bowen. Okay. Sleepy. Okay. It's like when I'm out with you guys, it's very protective. Hold on, I'm fine. I know you keep biting people. It's so weird. I just weird. don't fucking like it. Don't <laughs> <laughs> come near my friends. Go out. Part art and part science. Ah, <laughs> just bite me. Let's figure this I'll out. I'll bite, bite you. you. We're going to do science. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> disturb you. I mean, I'm going to disturb you. Because I'm going to tell Ugh, some disturbing that things. That's disturbing. <laughs> disturbing. It's so funny that we're recording at night. And not in the morning. This is weird. I know it's morning like morning murders. Morning and murders morning. at night. <laughs> morning murders at night. <laughs> Troy and Ovid in, in the, the morning. morning. Nice. I've been thinking about that all day. <laughs> <laughs> morning murders in the morning. At night. But at night. Okay. Now I don't think it's because she has an irrational fear of under the bed, but maybe. Inside, there were leaf samples taken, carpet, blood, and miles had been taken off. Mm. Inside, there was... Mm. Bundy gave insight into what might have... Uh, Are you guys ready to talk about some murder? You know... <laughs> Not rehearsed. We have literally 
morphed. <laughs> we are one. We are Power three, three turns into one. I mean, we have all sort of periods at the same time, so. It's done. Cycles synced. Cycles synced. Beep, beep. Uh, <laughs> cheers, cheers to singing cycles. cycles. Okay. Okay. Amanda. 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 Donkeys and ducks. A man duck, a donkey. A man duck. A man duck. A man duck. Okay. Little stickers. It's like a little man duck. Like, I just want, little, you know, this um, little tuxedo. Those big buff arms that you put on chickens. It looks like a one. Yeah. Like so it's like a duck with like those buff man, man arms. Duck. Oh, yeah. Manly duck. Yeah, I'm going to need that sticker for my water bottle. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. I'm going to find a man okay, duck. Okay. Get a man duck. Call Rachel. Somebody Google a man duck. <laughs> Quick. Quick, Quick not us. You listening. You listen. You, you listening. Google it and then report back to us what you yeah. find. And somehow work a coffee mug into it. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right.